Hello, America. Hey, this is your host, Mark Dunnigan, and here we are at the Daily Answer. Follow the directions. Man, in my over 60 years of living, I've had to really work on that. Really read the directions. Read the directions a couple of times before you even get going. Lay out all the parts of something. Make sure that you have the right number of bolts and nuts and make sure that everyone can everything came together and also observe that they may be different sizes and kind of make sure that you got all the sizes into one pile and all the sizes into the other pile. And uh, also always assume that the people that put it together, that manufactured it, knew what they were doing. <laughs> don't get arrogant. Don't go, ah, I don't need some directions. These guys, these guys that are engineers and manufactured this or whatever and designed it, uh, they didn't know how just me oh average joe out here who barely made it through math class i know how to do this better the important of importance of following the directions well in first kings chapter 13 so you might want to have your bible open there jeroboam is the, the king of the northern kingdom he has ignored god's promise you know i'll take care of you you uh just be faithful just be faithful to me do what i say and you'll have an enduring dynasty. Well, he doesn't. He uh, he sets up uh, he sets up counterfeit worship, and that would be at the end of chapter twelve. But the counterfeit worship kind of resembles a little bit the true worship. You know, he kind of has his own priesthood and things like that. So in chapter thirteen, we encounter him. You might say, kind of acting like high priest. There he is in Bethel where one of the golden calves was set up besides Dan at, you might say, the shrine, his Jeroboam shrine. And he's there going to burn incense on the altar of incense. And what we find is that a, a man of God from Judah came to Bethel. He cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, the son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Then he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is a sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be split apart, and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar of Bethel, or in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar and said, seize him. But his hand, which he stretched out, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself, like froze or shriveled up. And the altar split apart. The ashes were poured out according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. The king said to the man of God, please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God did that and he was healed. And then Jeroboam will come to the man of God, the unnamed prophet, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, if you are to, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. 
you would think, you would think that after having your arm shrivel, like shriveling on the vine where you can't even bring it back to your body again. And yet the man prays to God and it is completely restored. You would think that that would have got Jeroboam's attention. Well, it kind of did, but only in the sense of, you know, he almost kind of like half-heartedly or here, come home with me and I'll serve you a meal and I'll give you a reward. Okay, but what about repentance? What about obedience to God? What about getting rid of the shrines that you set up? What about dismantling your false religion? I'm impressed here also that even in the Old Testament, the sharing in the meal would be a sign of close fellowship. And in the New Testament, we are not to even eat with professed believers who are apostates. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9 and following, who are in sin. And there's a lesson here for us. If a person will not repent, then there's really nothing else to talk about. Shooting the breeze with the king at the moment would make about as much sense as shampooing the carpet while your house is on fire or doing the dishes on the Titanic. Jeroboam tries manipulation, but the way back necessitates repentance. And basically, I can have nothing to do with this mess. I think if Jeroboam would have repented and acknowledged his sin, probably would have been a different result here. But it's amazing that miracles, miracles do not convert, do not change people who have hard hearts. Now, we learn from some other passages that the devout had migrated to Judah during this time. But there was at least one old prophet left in Bethel, and he shows up in the next verses. And it looks like that maybe he had compromised himself. One reason is that God did not use him. And the other would be that his sons were there, were there at the event where Jeroboam was offering incense. And it's like, well, what are they doing there? Why are they at that shrine? The unnamed prophet is there to cry against it, but why are the sons of the old prophet there? Why are they even, you know, remotely close to that, to the evil and to the idolatry and to the false worship that was going on? But they come home and tell them like, man, you're not going to believe what happened today. What happened today at, you know, quote unquote services. And the father is very, very intrigued. Which way did he go? And so he saddled up and headed out and found him, found him sitting under an oak. He said in verse 14, are you the man of God who came from Judah? Said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And then we have, you know, what he was told, what Jeroboam was told, I can't return with you, nor go with you nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I think in this place is really important. Bethel had become an idolatrous shrine. No, I can't eat here. God forbids me to do that. But then the old prophet says the following in verse 18, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. 
but he lied to him, right? They were telling that that was a lie. That that was that, that was not truth at all. Uh, Angel gives him new information. Is that familiar? Galatians chapter one. Paul said, even if an angel from heaven would would deliver truth or preach a gospel that is contrary to what's found in your New Testament, you're to reject it. Right here, we learn that God does not contradict himself, and he expects us to test those who claim they are speaking for him with the information that he has already revealed. We see that in Acts 17, 11 and 1 John 4. God is not offended when we test those who claim to represent him. He wants us to do that. Interesting. Why does he lie? Why does he lie? Sadly, sadly, the unnamed. Well, first of all, it's interesting. I am also a prophet like you. No. No, you're not. But he wanted to be. He, he wanted to have that reputation of being a prophet, but he didn't want to pay the price. Because if he was truly a prophet, he should have already been crying out against the idolatry that was going on in his very town. But then it says a little bit further. So he went back with him, verse 19, and ate bread in his house and drank water. Why was that? Why was the other unnamed prophet deceived? Did he naively assume that someone who professed to be religious always spoke the truth? Was that that if someone says God is talking to me or an angel has spoken to me that you can't ever question that? Was he feel, fooled by the age or the experience of the old prophet thinking like, well, he must have he must be right seeing he spent more time studying or being a prophet than I have? Was he under the illusion that he could not challenge someone if they claimed that God had indeed spoken to them? Did he forget that even prophets can lie and fall away? Did he forget that Satan can use God's professed servants and appear as an angel of light? Observe carefully that the young, I assume young or younger prophet, was not taken in or intimidated by Jeroboam or his officers, but was completely fooled by the old prophet. The lesson here is that temptation is often far more dangerous when it comes from someone who appears innocent, who appears on the same page as you are. Jeroboam and his idolatry didn't trip him up. But the old prophet who claimed, I'm a prophet like you, and God has sent a new message to me, and an angel has spoken to me, that's what tripped him up. We need to be aware of that. Some of the most dangerous people out there are not um, like diehard atheists and people that reject all truth and morality, but rather they're the people in the denominations that have some truth, but they're also telling you, but you don't have to be baptized to be saved. You really don't have to follow all the Bible. You really don't have to do it exactly as it says. Hey, how many religious people will often say, hey, I'm a Christian just like you. 
when their life says and their beliefs say the complete opposite. One writer said the old prophet is an alarming combination. He speaks the truth of God or claims to. And later God, actually God will speak through him and condemn the other prophet. But at the same time, he destroys the servant of God. We should be terrified if you have the truth, and yet that truth does not grip, control, and transform you. God immediately pronounces judgment, and here's the thing for the reader. And the first time I read this, it caught my attention. The judgment doesn't come against the old prophet that lied. The judgment comes against the prophet that disobeyed God, that allowed himself to be deceived. That really is, immediately that kind of rubs you the wrong way, right? Because you're thinking like, wait a minute, the wrong guy is being punished. You know, many would argue that his disobedience was in such a tiny matter. After all, had he not confronted Jeroboam courageously, had he not obeyed maybe 98% of what God told him, yet God judged him sternly. Remember, any command that God gives is vitally important, or he would not have given it. Disobedience to any command of God, to any detail, is rebellion. In modern times, some would argue that the important element in the command to this young prophet was to confront Jeroboam, and that the details about which way you went and whether you ate or drank is really a minor issue. Observe that the young prophet keeps faithfully what many would consider to be the essential aspects of the command, yet he is judged harshly for not keeping the entire command. You know, you cannot divide a command into major and minor issues, the essentials and the non-essentials. Do not let anyone convince you that as long as you have warm feelings for God and generally do what is right, that you can ignore certain commands of God that you can pick and choose. Be careful when people say, well, Christians major in minors. If God gave the detail, it is not minor, and we need to major in it. Yes, the old prophet lied to him, but God still held that man accountable for believing a lie that contradicted truth that he already had right? And so you're not going to be able to stand at the judgment and say, okay, yeah, I, I read what your word said, Lord. I read what the Bible said, but this really experienced, smart religious guy here said something different. He deceived me. He had a tricky argument. Well, yeah, he'll be judged, but so will you. Consider the fact that God did not strike down Jeroboam or the, or the old prophet. Rather, he immediately punished the man who had previously been faithful. Now, eventually, Jeroboam is going to be dealt with, and the old prophet will be dealt with. He will meet God in judgment, and liars don't go to heaven, Revelation 21. But the thought might be that the Holy Spirit is trying to deliberately catch your attention here is that don't get all 
learn carefully what God's trying to tell you here. And that is, no matter how faithful you have been, it is never safe to venture outside of God's word, no matter what your past record is. You may be the first one condemned. The death of the unnamed prophet is unusual. A lion kills him, but then simply stands near the corpse of the fallen prophet and the donkey that is there still alive. And the old prophet who had lied goes and retrieves the body and shows respect for the unnamed prophet by placing the body in his own grave and also was convinced that the predictions regarding the Bethel altar would come to pass. Yet nothing is said about that old man repenting of his falsehood. There's a good number of people like the old prophet. They show some respect for God or his faithful servants, but it's too little, too late. And the fact that he desired later when he died that his body be buried with the young prophet smacks of superstition. You know, there's no inherent spiritual value in being buried next to someone who's been more faithful than you have, especially if you're unfaithful. And mourning over the death of a righteous man does little good if the one mourning never changes. Kind of reminds me of the relatives of Christians who might praise the Christian at their death. Even their children, their unfaithful children, might praise what a great mom and dad they have, but did little to support their efforts to serve God when they were actually alive. The old prophet says, alas, my brother, verse 30, when the reality is that such men had little in common. If he was such a brother, then why had he lied to him? So, you know, there's a lot of things that this, this section just reminds me of over the year we, we've heard. It does not matter what one believes, just as long as he is sincere. Well, the unnamed prophet believed the lie and is condemned. It was a matter of life and death with that prophet. And the same is true for us. Because whoever goes too far and does not abide in the teachings of Christ, 2 John 9, does not have God. Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. Till next time, see you in the funny papers.